Buck Studio at Wisconsin Public Radio, this is Zorba Pastor on your health. I'm Tom Clark, here again with Family Doc Zorba Pastor, talking with you about what's new in healthy living, sharing some down-to-earth advice and great lifestyle tips to help you get the most out of life. If you have a question for Zorba, the number to call is 1-800-462-7413. And Zorba, along with your calls, uh, some topics to talk about. Yes, we're going to talk about taking blood pressure in barber shops. Some very interesting research out of Los Angeles, Cedars-Sinai, that really says something about our public health system, things that we can do to improve it. Hmm. And breakfast, is it really the most important meal of the day? New research published in the British Medical Journal throws some light on that very interesting topic that old Dr. Kellogg would really be interested in. Mm -hmm. And not an early morning recipe. No, no. Maple balsamic veggie fries. I think if you had this for breakfast, Monica would look and say, you really want veggie fries for breakfast? <laughs> this is more a lunch or dinner thing for okay. sure. Uh, that's coming up. And uh, to the phones we go on Azorba at 1-800-462-7413. 1-800-462-7413. As we welcome our first caller, Zorba, a listener in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Hi. Hi. How can we help? Okay. Well, it's good to talk with you guys. Um, so this a little backstory first, which is that a few years ago I was living in Hawaii and I got exposed to some mold and I started to have this symptom of having my chest feel very constricted and it was like I would take a breath, but it felt like I wasn't getting as much, like I would get to a certain place and it would feel like my lungs stopped where normally they would continue to take in air. Hmm. And... Yeah, so I went to the pulmonologist, and apparently everything looked fine from a medical standpoint. Um, but it was very disturbing, you know, to have this feeling of, like, heaviness and tightness in my chest. And I'm having it again. And sometimes there's, like, a little even, like, a bit of a stabbing pain in my right lung. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it started again a couple of weeks ago. And when it started, I thought, okay, well, I better look for mold. So I noticed there was a little bit of black-colored mold in between the window panes where there had been condensation. Um, and apparently a little bit of mold grew, just a little. Um, but I'm definitely, like, we cleaned it all up, and yet I'm still, the symptom remains. Uh -huh. And I'm coughing a little bit, mm -hmm. and, yeah, it's just, like, very unpleasant. <laughs> so, so when you went to the pulmonologist, did they do pulmonary function tests or something called spirometry, uh, which is yeah. a type of PFT, blew into a little machine, and did Correct. they give you a nebulizer and then check you again afterwards with the nebulizer? You mean the nebulizer, is that, like, for asthma, mm -hmm. like a, yeah. an inhaler? Yeah, Correct. they did give me Correct. an inhaler. Uh -huh. Because it didn't seem to help, I just didn't keep using it. Mm -hmm. So how long ago did this happen when you were in Hawaii? Well, middle to the end of 2015. Okay. And then when you came back, you never had this problem again, or, or did this problem kind well, of occur on and off? So the symptoms continued. Um, it took a while for my lungs to even feel better, like months. Months. Um, and then, Quite a while. Yeah, and I, and I had left the house where mm -hmm. I got exposed to the mold, and I was very careful about not getting exposed to more mold. But then even for a couple of years, like if I would walk into a house and I, there was mildew or something, I, my lungs would do that same thing. Or it feels like they're closing up, but I'm sure that's not actually what's happening. But that's a terrible feeling to have, to feel like your lungs are oh, closing awful. up. It's just an awful, mm -hmm. awful sensation, awful feeling to have. Okay, so you cleaned up the mold in the house and the symptoms still remain? So it's difficult to know, like, did we get it all? You know, is there more mold that's making the symptoms continue, or is this just, like, leftover from before? Well, the, re the real issue is what, you know, what are the things that are actually producing this? And mold may be one of the things. Other things can also produce it. But clearly this is, I think it's primarily a lung problem. I mean, that's, that's at least what it sounds like to me. So there are a couple of things you can do. First of all, you can talk to your primary care doc and say, look, I was in Hawaii. They weren't sure what I had. I want to try a steroid inhaler. I want to take something such, such as Flovent, F-L-O-V-E-N-T. Comes in a generic, two puffs twice a day, and I'd like to see whether or not I can get rid of this. And sometimes people just have periods of time where they have to sort of coat their lungs with steroids to get them better because they've had an insult. The insult can be mold. The insult can be a virus. The insult can even be cold air. Cold air wheezing is not unusual. There are many things that can call, cause wheezing, 
coughing or just that full feeling in your chest. So one thing is just put yourself on the inhaler and see what it does. The other thing is if that fails, get pulmonary function tests again. And there are more detailed pulmonary function tests that they can do to see whether or not there's something else going on in your lungs. Uh, they're, they're just more, they're, they're very, some very detailed tests. But if you came into my office and you said, gee, I have this, I was in in Hawaii, I'd give you a steroid inhaler and say, try this for three or four weeks. See if it works. If you feel better, then stop and see what happens when you stop. Sometimes a trial, a therapeutic trial of medication can really do something. And I think that's what you need. You need a steroid inhaler. The insult may be gone, like you said. You cleaned up all the mold, and you might just have the residual inflammation that's still bothering you, and I think that's what's going on. Okay. Do you think that it's the lung tissue? Because the actual, when I feel the actual symptom, it's like the top of my chest, um, like near the surface. I'm wondering, could it be like the cartilage, like the... Um, intercostal cartilage well, that's inflamed? They, well, first of all, you can have an intercostal cartilage problem. And, you know, you've got joints in your body, in your chest. The costal chondral cartilage, the, uh, you know, essentially the, the, uh, the ribs articulate with the manubrium. I'm now using very scientific words, but the breastbone is in the middle word, in the middle. And you've got these little cartilage things, so when you t- breathe on and off, you've got these little joints that move as your chest expands and contracts, opens and closes. And certainly you can have that. That's usually point tenderness. You push on it, it really hurts. And you can feel a little indentation where that joint actually is. So that could certainly be the case. Hard to say without examining you, but given what's gone on, Given the way things go, I think it's probably your lungs without examining you. It's hard to examine you over the airwaves. Just not an <laughs> easy thing to do. Yes, definitely. So good luck. Talk to your primary care doc. I would, I would do a trial of steroid inhaler, especially if you don't have point tenderness. That's the hallmark of costal chondritis where there actually is a problem with that joint or pain in that joint. Thanks for your call. Thank Thanks you so for much, sharing Arma. that. Take okay. care. Take good care. You Aloha. Too. Aloha. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for that call at 800-462-7413. You know, Tom, for years we were on in Hawaii, mm-hmm. on in Hawaii. And uh, as you know, for the last few years I've been going to Hawaii during the wintertime when it's, you know, when it's cold here, I, I tend to go to Hawaii. But now we're not on in Hawaii. I mean, if I was still on in Hawaii, I could actually go to the station and deduct the whole trip. But I can't <laughs> actually do that anymore. I can just dream of Hawaii. Summer, fall, winter, and spring, the weather is always the same. 800-462-7413 if you have a question for Zorba. Now, were you joking earlier, Zorba? I go into the barber shop, say a little off the top, trim the mustache and beard. <laughs> oh, and by the way, <laughs> check my blood pressure? Are you, are you no, kidding? Not, not at all. This was a very interesting study that came out of Cedars-Sinai. So first of all, barber shops are really within a community, are often a point where, where men go in, they talk to other men, and it's a whole environment, especially in the African-American community. The barber shop is a known environmental place where, where guys meet. And so the question was whether or not they could actually measure blood pressure and treat blood pressure. And so there was a whole theory of how to get it started. So what they decided to do was measure blood pressure in barbershops and discovered a lot of men who came into the barbershop had hypertension and had not seen a doctor. Okay, so they're in a barbershop, they get measured, they then developed a protocol, you didn't have to see a doctor, with a pharmacist whereby if your blood pressure was a certain, you know, at a certain height and if you had the following qualifications, this will be the first drug that we use. And so it kept you from having to go to a doctor, get a doctor's visit, take off from work, go and see a physician, get a blood pressure medication and check and so on. And what they discovered after one year mm-hmm. was they picked up a huge amount of people who had high blood pressure, huge amount, huge amount of guys who had hypertension and didn't know it, you know, got measured in the barbershop. And they discovered that through these very uh, rigid protocols, these protocols that, that were predetermined, that they could treat maybe 90% of the blood pressure without ever seeing a physician, a nurse practitioner, or a PA, and bring it down to a normal level. In other words, by just following an SOP. Just following an SOP, they could do that. And 
the article showed that there's more that we could do for public health. And when I read the article, I thought about flu shots. You know, it used to be years ago, the only place to get flu shots was either, at least in our town, the Visiting Nurse Association. They would have flu shots that they would do in malls Mm -hmm. and your doctor's office, you know, offices. That's basically what it was. Then the laws changed in our state, allowed pharmacies to get flu shots. Well, there are more pharmacies in Wisconsin than there are malls. And frankly, there are more pharmacies than there are doctor's offices because doctors are concentrating in offices. And then when the CD said basically everyone should have a flu shot, we were there and ready because you can get a flu shot at your pharmacy. It's easy. It's convenient. The only reason you don't get it is because you either don't want to get it or you're dumb or stupid and don't think that you need it. But it's available there. And what we have to do is we should do the same thing with other public health issues such as blood pressure. You know, going to your pharmacy, getting the blood pressure checked and having the pharmacist, like in this case doing or going to the barbershop saying hey let me check your blood pressure your blood pressure has been high you've come in for the last three times it's been high you don't treat the first time mm-hmm. and it's been high here's you know here's a connection here's a pharmacist they're going to explain to you what to do with your medicine and you can take it it's a way to improve the public health of our country in a point of service where are the people mm-hmm. they're not in doctors offices they're often in places like barbershops yeah. as far as the flu shot is concerned I get it's free at my pharmacy. Well, it's free. Oh, it's free at your front. Well, no, they char- they charge. No, it may be. It's free to you. I go to the pharmacy yeah. and I get the shot, and I don't give them any money. You don't give them any money because they charge Medicare. That's what I thought. That's what yeah, I meant. Yeah, yeah, it's not free to the pharmacy. They are not doing it out of the goodness of their heart. They're doing it out of the profit motive, so they can make some money, and that's okay. We live in America, where the profit motive is always, you know, changing around, kaching, kaching. Yeah. But here it is: you walk in there, and it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Right. And isn't it more convenient than driving way out of town to go? to your doctor's Absolutely. office. <laughs> I have to go to another town to see my doctor. <laughs> now, on the blood pressure, you say they do that. There, there couldn't have been a bunch of barbershops involved in this. Well, there were a number of barbershops that were involved. Now, it's not that the bar- the barbers were not taking the blood pressure in the barbershops. No. They had other people in the barbershops taking the blood pressure uh, to see what we do. But, but barbers can learn to take blood pressure or they can end up having an automated blood pressure cuff in a barbershop to do it. And then if somebody comes in there, and once again, they had to have more than one reading. They had to have multiple readings. You then may be able to see a pharmacist, for instance, over uh, over a video conferencing. You could actually, because a lot of times that's what we do, we can actually yeah. video conference and a prescription could be made. If we had a way of doing this, it's point of service, where do you find the folks? And you find people where they normally go in their day-to-day stuff. I think it would be hard to find a barber who wanted, was willing to do this. Just I don't know. It might be people into the barbershop. Yeah. That's what it was. These barbers were very interested in their clientele. Remember, it's a it's a community often within that barbershop. I get it. 800-462-7413 is our number. 1-800-462-7413. Now, Zorba, let's see if we can help a listener in Thatcher, Utah. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. How can um, we help? Well, I'll give you a quick rundown. 48 years old, 5'11", 190, um, so I don't really consider myself overweight, maybe lose 10 pounds. Um, I don't exercise regularly. However, I'm pretty active uh, at home, a lot of steps, mow my yard with an unassisted mower, move snow. And I've got two boys that their favorite game is called Tackle Daddy, and it's everything you can think of. <laughs> Tackle Daddy. Um, so uh, that can be but, dangerous. Hi, oh, Daddy. T- <laughs> can be dangerous. Tell me about it. They're they're uh, the fury just coming at you. So. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I feel really like I'm in good shape for my age, um, but my knees sometimes, my joints, and I mostly notice it just in my knees. For example, one time uh, driving cross-country, you know, long drive and just, you know, stretching while I was driving fully, uh, extending my legs, I felt something pop in my knee, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't walk right for at least a week. And then just getting out off of a a stool the other day, um, I stepped just a little bit wrong and tremendous pain, but it went away in about 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that'll happen maybe uh, three, four times a year where I just kind of step crooked. Mm-hmm. So my question is, I have friends my age, a little older, that are on 
uh, taking glucosamine supplements, mm -hmm. and some swear by it. Some say it, they don't think it does anything for them. <laughs> I asked a pharmacist, and he seemed on the fence. I've heard there's a liquid form, but I'm usually skeptical with regard to supplements in general. My dad is almost 90 and still flying airplanes, and, you know, he still never... Still flying really, airplanes? Wow. Yeah, believe wow. it or not. Wow. He's a career pilot. But also, uh, if it matters, I am on 40 milligrams of uh, Pravastatin a day for mm -hmm. cholesterol. Well, first so. of all, I don't, I don't think this is, this is not a, a cholesterol issue if you all of a sudden it pops. I mean, cholesterol, side effects of statins are muscle aches, like you have the influenza, you've got the flu, and your muscles ache all the time. It, completely different. Um, so first of all, if you want to take a supplement, I always tell people, uh, you want to make sure that what you're taking actually is there. You cannot trust right. the label. You cannot trust the name. There are two ways to do this. First of all, if you buy a supplement at a reputable place with a name brand from the company, for instance, if you go to Costco, Walmart, Target, CVS, Walgreens, and you buy their supplement, they're actually going to make sure that the supplement actually has the stuff in it because they don't want their name sullied. They don't want their name as, gee, it didn't have you know, glucosamine and chondroitin sulfate in it. Another way is to go to consumerlab.com. I like them. They're my go-to place. You've got to pay 25 bucks to actually get into a website. It's like Consumer Reports. You actually pay money because they do independent testing on their own, and then you buy the one that they recommend. So that's another way. And then I always tell people, because you don't know whether or not it's going to affect you, and it's the, the jury is out on this because some studies show, well, it might work, and other studies show, well, I don't think it really works. It's really out. So I always tell people, two weeks on, Two weeks off. Repeat that three times because you want to get rid of the placebo effect. So two weeks on the supplement, two weeks off, two weeks on, two weeks off, and so on. And you can see if it makes a difference. So that's number one. But number two, one of the things you really want to do is you want to build up your knee. And you can do two particular uh, things to easily build up the knee. There's something called quad sets, and we'll put that on our website, zorbapastor.org. You can also Google quad sets and then go to a physical therapy site, and they'll show you how to do it. And quad sets are really, really good. They basically improve the strength of the quadriceps muscles. These are four muscles that are in the top of the leg that stabilize the knee, and you do 10 reps of quad sets twice a day. And it's about, you know, you hold it for a count of six or seven on, six or seven relax. You do that 10 times in the morning, 10 times in the evening. Within about eight to 12 weeks, it takes that long. Your leg will be stronger and then will be more stable. Because basically, when you go into your house, you have a hellstorm coming at you called your boys. And they're coming to knock down daddy. And so your knee is pushed, you know, just like a football player, hither and yon. And the popping sound you hear is probably either fluid or air within the joint. And the quad sets really can make a difference. And I'm really much pro, more pro-exercise than I am pro-supplement. Two. <laughs> yeah, so I would definitely I would definitely do the quad sets. There was a study a few years ago that showed many people who have meniscus tears do not need arthroscopy, but if they do quad sets and other knee exercises such as quad sets, they can get rid of all the pain, all the discomfort, and basically 80% of the time they can get rid of all the dis uh, all the disability within their knees. So I would try that. Well, thank you very much. You're that welcome. sounds like the, good common sense. By the way, how old are you boys? Ten and eight. Oh my goodness! They can really, they can really fly at you. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I think the the best way to do it is to, for me to be on my knees so they can't really <laughs> bend them backwards and stuff. And, uh, there you so, go. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for your call. We appreciate it. At one eight hundred four six two seven four one three. Now, before we take a break, Zorba, please unholster your plastic commemorative gavel and saddle up to the bench for a segment we call Judge Zorba. That was our producer, Carl, <laughs> playing well this time, the bangos and piano at the same time again in the studio. 
Okay, today's case comes to us from a listener named Michael, who listens to the show on WUOT in Knoxville, Tennessee. He writes, I love your show. I even try some of the recipes, and they actually make my mouth water. Wow. Wow. Shocking. Shocking. (laughs) My question is about getting intoxicated every night and waking up just fine in the morning. And are there more possible concerns other than liver and kidney damage? We don't partake in any other drinking until 6 p.m. <laughs> unless we are going out. All right, all right. I've got my gavel. You know what I'm going to rule? You know what I'm going to rule. What am I going to rule? You're going to rule you're guilty. That's right. Guilty as charged. <laughs> the reality is getting intoxicated every night is not good for the body, period. It's not only the liver, it's also the brain. You can pickle your brain. Now, you're not literally pickling your no. brain with alcohol, but the reality is you actually do get you get high blood pressure. High blood pressure can be alcohol produced, and there can be changes in the brain, changes also in the peripheral nervous system, so you mm-hmm. begin to have uh, uh, neuropathies from alcohol, and the reality is getting intoxicated every night and binge drinking is not a great idea. Obviously, going out and driving a car is not necessarily part of my whole system because you know that driving a car and drinking is not a good thing, but it's just not good for the body. Have a case you need settled? Add it to Judge Zorba's docket by posting on Facebook or sending us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. More of your calls coming up. A delicious recipe, of course. All right here on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX, the public radio exchange. Clark here with Zorba Pastor on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. Recipe time now, Zorba. Maple balsamic veggie fries. That's right. Do you like maple syrup? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you like balsamic vinegar? Yeah. Yeah. Do you like veggies. fries? Veggies, yeah. Fries. Do you yeah. like veggies? Yeah. That means you'll like this recipe. I'm sure I will. But it has no meat. It's all right. I don't need meat. You don't need meat at every single every no. single serving. That's right. You don't need meat three times a day, do you? That's, That's the right. Truth. That's, That's the right. Truth. You don't get up and have bacon, have a hamburger for lunch and a steak at dinner. Uh, there are days when I don't have any meat at all. Quite Real, a few. Yeah. Really? Tofu? Yeah. Okay, start out with three large carrots peeled and cut into one quarter inch thick sticks, little carrot sticks, but they may have to be about a quarter inch thick, two to three inches long. Okay, Uh, three large carrots peeled and cut into quarter inch thick sticks. Go ahead, keep on on going, two to three inches long. Two to three inches long. Yeah, I just want to make sure you can actually say this quickly. You don't have to say it in reverse. One medium celery root. You have to go buy a celery root peel, cut into, guess what? One quarter inch <laughs> thick sticks, two to three inches long. Go ahead, do it again. A medium celery root peeled and cut into quarter inch thick sticks, two to three inches long. That's right. Two medium parsnips peeled and cut into, guess, guess what? what? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Quarter-inch thick sticks, two to three inches long. Two two medium parsnips peeled and cut into quarter-inch sticks, two to three inches long. Two medium golden beets peeled, and each is cut into eight wedges. So we're going to vary this a bit, okay? Got it. Two medium beets peeled. Golden beets. Golden. Golden has to be golden. golden. Well, no, they can be regular beets. Two medium golden or regular beets peeled and cut into... (laughs) Eight wedges. You know, it's, you know what I'm doing is I'm testing your ability to pronounce things and <laughs> say them. Okay, five sprigs of fresh thyme. 
Five sprigs, fresh thyme. Why is it called? Why do we call it thyme when it's T H Y M E? It should be thyme. It should be thyme. Thyme. Two tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil and one tablespoonful of pure maple syrup. Two big tea, extra virgin olive oil, one big tea, pure maple syrup. You're going to use a half teaspoon of balsamic vinegar. Half a teaspoon balsamic vinegar. And some salt and pepper. S&P. S&P. Okay. So set the racks in the upper and lower thirds of the oven. Preheat the oven to 425. Line two rimmed baking seats, uh, baking sheets, rather, with parchment paper. So you've got parchment paper. Do you know what parchment paper is? No. So this is paper you can put in the oven. Uh, it doesn't burn, you know, at the temperature that's in the oven, and you don't have to clean up the mess on the pan. That sounds great. What's it made of? Parchment. I have no idea what it's made of. I don't know what's made. Parchment paper. It's made of some kind of paper. You mean, what is it actually made of? I don't have any idea. Boy. I don't have any idea. Okay. I just know what it is and I buy it. Now, in a large uh, mixing bowl, combine the carrots, celery root, parsnips, beets, and thyme sprigs. Add the oil, mix thoroughly to coat it. Then in a small baking bowl, a uh, mixing bowl rather, combine the maple syrup, vinegar, half a teaspoon of salt, eighth of a teaspoon of pepper. Mix it well. Pour the mixture over the veggies, toss them to coat, then arrange the vegetables in a single single layers on the two baking sheets and roast on separate racks for about 20 minutes. Remove them from the oven using a spatula. Flip the vegetables. Return the sheets to the oven, switching the positions. So the upper rack goes to the lower part, and the lower rack goes to the upper part. And the reason is they roast it at different temperatures. Mm. Roast into the veggies are light brown and caramelized, about another 15 to 20 minutes. Discard the thyme sprigs, season with salt and pepper, and serve. It's really good. It sounds good. And it's not hard to do. I would really do this. Really, I would do this. You would, yeah, it's an easy somebody would have to teach me how to turn on the stove. Turn on. <laughs> that's, that's exactly. That's exactly. We're gonna, no, no. The staff. Your staff will turn on the stove. That's exactly it. But if you don't have staff and you want a copy of today's recipe. How do, how do I get one? Or you want your staff to have a copy yeah. of today's yeah. recipe. Go to ZorbaPastor.org. You will find that recipe. You will find other recipes. You will find wonderful photos of Tom, a couple of photos of me. That's ZorbaPastor.org and, of course, through Facebook. I don't remember giving permission to have my image on Facebook. Sue me. Sue me. (laughs) 800-462-7413 is our number. That's 800-462-7413. Now, Zorba, let's see if we can help a listener in Texarkana, Texas. Hi. Hi, Zorba. This is Gail, and I have a question about opioids. Mm -hmm. I understand we have a really serious problem all over the country, and politicians are getting ready to to get into the problem. However, there are those of us who are in our 80s that have chronic problems, Mm -hmm. and we need that particular drug to function. Right. And I wonder about the... Politicians getting in between my doctor and me when my choice is surgery or a pill, and Mm -hmm. I can function beautifully Mm -hmm. uh, if I have hydrocodone uh, two or three times a day, Mm -hmm. Uh and I don't want to have surgery. I frankly am too. I'm 81 years old. And you don't necessarily need to have the surgery. Well, uh, I can have it, but I don't want to. I want to take a pill. Sure. (laughs) And so you take one hydrocodone three times a day. Uh, about that. If about. I'm just staying home, I take one in the morning mm-hmm. and maybe one in the evening. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to do something, I take another one. Yeah, that is not that is not very much. So, so let me tell you the story in Wisconsin and, and, and what's going on here. So a couple of years ago, our legislature passed a rule that said we have to check through something called the EPDMP. We have to make sure you're not getting pills from another provider. You know, we're the only one getting it. And yeah. then we... And then... Uh, our goal is to try to get people at, it's called 15 MME, morphine equivalents. That's what they are, to try to get them below that if possible, and especially to try to get below 90 in people who have chronic pain and are high doses of opioids. Yeah. And then what we do is we refill the meds on a regular basis, three months at a time. We do it one month. We give, we give refills that last up to three months. We see people four times a year, which follows our state guidelines. And we, we have a lot of people who are still 
lot of opioids and doing quite well. You are on only 15 milligrams a day of hydrocodone. And the MME, if I were to look it up, if I am correct, and I, I don't have I don't have the formula in front of me, is the number fifteen. It's certainly below fifty five zero. Yeah. And so you would be well within the proper amount. And we have a number of patients in our practice who are on chronic opioids and like yourself and who are functioning quite well. And you are one hundred percent correct. You don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, proverbially, and say everyone should be off of opioids. Far from it. Absolutely. The goal, the goal is to get people who shouldn't be on opioids off them, and to get people on less opioids. So one of the things that this particular change in the law uh, did, and initially I really was sort of against the law. I said these people, we have people on large doses of opioids, but it allowed us to open up the conversation for people who are on massive doses of opioids, much, much more than you are, the equivalent of, we'll say, 10 or 15 uh, hydrocodone a day worth of opioids. Not that, but in terms of the medications they were on, oxycodone, other medications that were long-acting. But because the law changed, there were people who heretofore said, I don't want to reduce my opioids at all, that I was able to have a conversation with. And I had a number of patients who reduced their opioid consumption. Some people got off of it completely, but another, a number of people just got on either a half, a quarter, or an eighth of what they were on before. And prior to that, they refused to make any changes in their opioids. Getting back to your situation, 10 to 15 milligrams a day is not a lot of hydrocodone. It keeps you from needing surgery, of having the surgery. You're in your 80s. Let's talk about surgery. It has side effects. You have surgery. You can die from the surgery. You can die from complications of the surgery. So that's where you sit with your doctor and make a good faith decision about it. And Well, I happen to be an RN, too, so I'm, I'm familiar with what can happen to me after surgery. Yes, so of course, in I, your 80s. Uh, I really, my choice is to, if I want to feel feel good and be cute. I want to take extra hydrocodone. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. And you're not, on, you're not on a high dose. And we still have a number of people. And these are, these are problems. I, for many, many years, lectured about opioids, lectured about a drug called tramadol, which is sort of an opioid light, and some other medications. In full disclosure, I also did research on tramadol, which is sort of a, 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 a mild opioid, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I didn't believe that opioids were that addictive. And it turns out opioids are addictive to a subgroup of the population. It might be 10%. It might be 15%. I don't think anyone really knows what that group is. And we doctors were part of the problem. OxyContin, Purdue Pharma was part of the problem. And society was part of the problem. And the idea that we should move that back to being less and less opioids is very important. But the idea that somebody in their 80s who is functioning on the small dose of hydrocodone should not be able to take the hydrocodone is also an anathema, and that is clearly wrong. So well, you're right. I, I thank you for that kind of support because sometimes the uh, the politicians uh, get to dictating, and I think that's wrong. I think you're right, 100%. Mm-hmm. Thank well, you so much. Dan, thank you so much for your comments. Appreciate we appreciate it. the call at 800-462-7413. Zorba, I kind of understand addiction, but with all the publicity that opioids mm-hmm. have, how can anybody do this or, or take so much of that? Well, first of all, some people function when they're on opioids. That's not a lot of opioids. The bottom line answer is we physicians have to give smaller doses of opioids and have to prescribe them initially less often. Now, I have a, a friend of mine who was out, uh, just had surgery in Johns Hopkins, open heart surgery, and her surgeon said, I don't want you to be on opioids post-op, and only put her on ibuprofen and aproxen and in an intravenous anti-inflammatory uh, called a toradol post-op. And she actually did just fine. She did not want to be on an opioid at all post-op, and her surgeon didn't want it. We have to move away from opioids as the primary thing, because we doctors, myself included, were part of that whole addictive issue. And society changes, information changes, that's how better medical care occurs. Our number is 1-800-462-7413. That's 1-800-462-7413. Now, before the break, Zorba, let's do that segment where someone looks up something online in order to refute something you said on the show. This is Disagreeing with a Doc. Disagreeing with a Doc. Disagreeing with a Doc. 
who would refute me? <laughs> ho, ho, ho. The, the following email came to us from Catherine in Madison, Wisconsin. She writes, Zorba, I heard on a recent show about the Swedish study saying people who have dogs live longer. I have no argument with those results. However, I just want to let you know that there are twice as many people in Sweden as you stated. They now say they have about 10 million people, not 5 million. My Swedish husband read this, <laughs> read this update recently online in a Swedish newspaper. Your estimate of 5 million was quite dated. Have a great day. Thank you very much for correcting me. I now know there are 10 million people in Sweden. How many live in Norway? <laughs> I'm not going to guess because then we'll get another Absolutely, critique. that's exactly right. Do you disagree with something Zorba said? Well, now is your chance to get some Swede revenge. Oh. Just post on our Facebook page or send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. More of your calls coming up. Another interesting topic to talk about. We'll share a very strange email we received from a fraternity in Idaho, all right here on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX, the public radio exchange. Tom Clark here with Family Doc Zorba Pastor on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. 800-462-7413, the number. But before Zorba, our next call, we deal with breakfast. That's right. We deal with breakfast every morning if we like breakfast. You have breakfast every morning, Oh, sure, don't you? sure, sure. Now, I'm not a big breakfast person. But, but... Uh, but a good breakfast is certainly the most important meal of well, the Well, that's certainly what we've been saying for years. And guess mm-hmm. who actually started that? It was Kellogg of Kellogg's Cornflakes. And he was also, by the way, for high enemas. That he also thought yeah. that was the thing for good health. And that has certainly gone to the wayside. But the idea that breakfast is the most important meal of the day was moved by the breakfast companies. And actually, yeah. it is important for certain in certain groups. We know, for instance, children who often have nothing to eat after six or seven o'clock in the evening. If they don't have breakfast, they don't do as well in school. But the question is, what about for adults? And what about for weight loss? Will eating breakfast help you lose weight? Will eating breakfast make you have less calories throughout the day? Will eating breakfast, is eating breakfast the most important thing in your meal plan if you want to shed the pounds? And the answer is, maybe not so much. The British Medical Journal recently had an article where they looked at and evaluated all the studies looking at breakfast and weight loss. And you know what they found? Mm -mm. They didn't find as much as they thought they would find. They found that many people who eat breakfast have an exercise. Okay, we know the people who exercise Mm -hmm. generally weigh less. Why? Because they exercise. Mm -hmm. And exercise burns calories and attenuates attenuates, uh, the desire to eat. But when they looked at actually whether or not there was calorie reduction in the entire day for people who actually kept track of how much they ate, they found out breakfast doesn't actually reduce your desire to eat lunch or dinner. And kind of shocking in the end. Hard to start the day, though, without something to eat. For you, it's hard to start the day without something to eat. Now, I also do not have a weight problem, but I don't have breakfast in the morning. Now, I might decide to have a piece of toast, like this morning I, might, I decided to have a toasted bagel, but many of my days I don't actually have anything to eat until lunch. And lunch turns out to be the biggest meal of my day. So... The idea that breakfast is the most important thing you can do to lose weight turns out not to be the case. It really might be part of your plan. Now, I know you have breakfast every morning. Do you have a big lunch or not? 
Um, yeah, now I'm having a bigger pretty big lunch. lunch. But you My main ask, meal of the day is lunch. Is lunch. But you have been the sta- roughly the same stable weight for many, many years. Oh, you, don't, yeah. you don't, have a, you don't yeah. have a weight problem. It turns out breakfast does not determine whether or not you can lose weight or be at a stable weight. It's only part of the entire plan. So if you're not a breakfast person and you're older, an adult, not a child, children need breakfast, then it may be important for you to look at the other parts of the meal in your day to determine determine how you can lose weight and stay fit. 1-800-462-7413, the number if you have a question for Zorba, 800-462-7413. And now Zorba to the phones again, a listener with us in Chanute, Kansas. Hi. Hello. How can we help? Well, I do a lot of paperwork in my business. I'm 66 years old. Mm-hmm. What kind of business is it? Uh, I have rental houses. Mm-hmm. I do have an auto uh, car lot also. Okay. Okay. And I do have type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. About two years ago, uh, doing paperwork, I noticed uh, when I was trying to do some writing, I could print very slowly, mm-hmm. but when I try to do writing, I basically am scribbling. You know, the lines are not straight, they're off, and... Uh, of course, I thought of everything from Parkinson's to mini strokes, things mm-hmm. like that, and discussed it with the doctors. But uh, no other features other than this has got me stumped. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I do so much writing, it really slows me down. Now I have to pretty well print. Uh-huh. When I do my signature, no offense, but I sign like a doctor real <laughs> I It's just very simply, you know, I'm sorry. There's nothing, but, there's nothing wrong with that. Nobody uh, can read nothing my really, signature. I'm really fast, and I used to be a fairly fast, you know, fairly fast on my writing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it slowed down to where it's almost embarrassing when I sign something, when I go get a part or something on my accounts. Mm-hmm. I... Yeah, I mean, it is legible, but I'm not controlling, you know, my writing. Sure. So, uh, w- once again, you're a diabetic. You've been a diabetic for how long? About four years. About four years. And when did you notice this? Uh, about two years about ago. About two years ago. And did it happen suddenly, like one day you noticed it? Yes. Okay. Yes, it sure did. And you've had some scans, I I assume, MRI scans or... No, that's what was funny. They didn't ask for that. Uh-huh. Uh, I kind of asked about it. He says, well, you know, one thought it could be a little small mini mm-hmm. stroke, but where there was no other symptoms, he didn't believe that. Uh-huh. And uh, so they really have not done anything. I'll right. be real honest with you. Right. So I would fit with the mini stroke category. That's what I, that's what I would fit with. Okay. If something happens suddenly, you know, strokes are stroke. I mean, it's a sudden aspect. It happens all of a sudden. Sure. MRI scans, by the way, do not always show us, you know, exactly what's going on. But you could easily have had a stroke, and a stroke somewhere in the brain that affects your writing could be the way that you actually, you know, in, in the part of the brain that actually affects the musculature of your hand or your fingers, or in another part of the brain. You know, we don't know exactly where everything is. We know, we know. Uh, what, what things that can occur with your hand. In other words, you can have something called Broca's area, which is where we actually have our hand and our feet, and we kind of know muscular-wise what's going on in the brain. But writing is a very complex skill, and there's not one part of the brain that is only involved in writing. There are other parts of the brain that are involved here. So an MRI scan might show that you've had a small stroke. But the absence of showing a small stroke in the MRI scan does not rule out that you actually had a small stroke. You know, it happens suddenly, sounds like a duck, quacks like a duck, seems like a duck. I would fit more with the duck. Parkinsonism certainly is a possibility, but that's going to progress over time. You may have, you would, you know, you would expect other symptoms such as pill rolling, cogwheel rigidity, and other things that are really hallmarks for Parkinsonism. So it would seem to me stroke would be the more likely thing. Now, let's make an assumption that it's a stroke. And you've had this now for two years. Your signature is not the same. You don't write nearly as quickly. So you have to start to use adaptive skills, you know, that you may be able to do other things. So you may want to alter your signature into initials, for instance, and that will immediately make that quicker because you don't have to sign if you've been signing your name in a long way. But being able to write quickly, if you've not been able to do it for two years, the chances are you're not going to get that back. 
unless yeah. unless you decide to go through training. There are people who can get skills back after strokes with training. So you sit down and you actually train yourself to write quicker and you spend time doing it. You might get some of that back. I don't know how much, maybe 50%, 75%, 90%, but it will take some hard work, just like learning to play a violin, learning after a stroke, which is what it sounds like you have, would take a while to get it back. The other possibility, by the way, is going on something called a beta blocker. Now, there is something called uh, essential tremor. An essential tremor is a shake, and beta blockers help with essential tremor. And your doctor may want to try you on a beta blocker to see if that will help. It doesn't relax the body. It just changes. Uh, it blocks certain impulses that occur in the body. And that might be something that is useful to try. It's something that is not habit-forming. It is not a tranquilizer, and you might want to see if that works. It'd sure be worth a try. Yeah. I appreciate your, your information on this. A pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for listening. We appreciate the call at 800-462-7413. 1-800-462-7413. Okay, Zorba, let's crack open the Zorba Pastor on Your Health inbox again and share a listener email. This one came to us from a listener, Jim, in Pocatello, Idaho. Hey, Tom and Zorba. That's a, I shouldn't be getting the, the top billing. I, I give the phone number, and Zorba's here with a font of, of medical knowledge. It, hey, but you're loved. You're beloved by the community. Yeah. It's Tom and Zorba. Let's go see Ed McMahon and Johnny, <laughs> Johnny Carson. Carson. There we go. <laughs> I was listening back to some of the old episodes and was interested in Zorba's comments on the benefits he experienced from naked swimming in college back in the day. As college freshmen and newly minted members of the frat, the boys here want to change things up and get more exercise. So we were thinking of organizing a naked ice hockey team and and a naked golf team. That way we can get healthy, uninhibited exercise all year round. Any thoughts, Zora? Risks, benefits? We're hoping this will get us off our intellectual butts and up our GPAs. I think certainly, certainly it'll make national news when you do the the naked golfing and the other naked. But that That's exactly what it was. In high school, we swam naked. And like I said, at the University of Wisconsin, when you went to swim at the armory, that's where it was, a big sort of red castle building, Mm -hmm. in the middle of the men's locker room was a swimming pool, and everyone swam naked until one day a woman came and liberated the pool. She came in there, took off her clothes, and swam in the pool. And all of a sudden, the next day, it was swimsuits required. Well, that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> Have a tricky question for Zorba. He will no doubt give you the naked truth. Oh, Just post I on our it. Facebook page or send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. Back to the phones we go now, Zorba, at 1-800-462-7413, 800-462-7413. And Zorba, a listener with us now in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Hi. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. I'm a big fan. Sure. How can we help? Yeah. So about a month ago, I ate a bunch of fresh pineapple, and I usually don't eat a lot of pineapple and stuff. I mean, I've never had a problem with it, but we had a lot for the holidays, and I ate a lot of it, and I got a bunch of blisters in my mouth, and I'm assuming that's from the pineapple. Hmm. Um, I don't know, but now it's been like a month, and I've still got these blisters in my mouth. I can't really see them because the inside of your lip kind of looks like a blister Mm -hmm. to begin with, and... And you can't really see anything, but I can feel them. They're sensitive to heat, sensitive to, like, mouthwash and toothpaste and any kind of stuff like that. Did you change toothpaste or anything else? You know, I didn't change toothpaste. But I, I other thing that I wanted to mention is that I sleep with my mouth open. Uh-huh. And ever since I've gotten these, I've noticed really bad. Like, in the morning when I wake up and my mouth is as dry, you know, as dry as it can be, oh, sure. they're really in a lot of pain and they're kind of inflamed. And then I get up and I put some mouthwash in immediately and I, you know, get rinse my mouth and brush my teeth and all that stuff. And then they start feeling better and they feel pretty good all during the day. 
but then at night, then they get really bad. It's almost like sleeping and getting them dry, like like cracks them open or something. I don't know. I do not think that eating pineapple did this. I mean, people eat pineapple all the time, and it's not a, a side effect of pineapple eating. Sometimes you can have an irritation from eating a bunch of things, but it ought to be better within a day or two and certainly should not should not last for a month. Uh, there, there are, by the way, a few things that you can do. So first of all, let's assume you had some something occurred within your mouth. Could have been a fever blister. Could have been a cold sore. Could have been a virus. A few things you can do. First of all, for a while, change toothpaste, go to Sensodyne. Sensodyne is a toothpaste that doesn't have laurel sulfate and a whole bunch of other things in. It's good for people who have more sensitive skin or who are having problems. That's the first thing to do. Second thing to do is yogurt. Do you eat yogurt at all? No. Get some yogurt. Yogurt has lactobacillus. Do you like yogurt? Sure, I do. I do. Yogurt has lactobacillus. It's a natural form of lactobacillus. And quite often, simply repopulating your mouth with lactobacillus will get it back to a sort of a normal state. And what you want to do is you don't want to wolf down the yogurt. You want to just enjoy (laughs) the yogurt on a regular basis. Let those bacteria swish around inside your mouth. Get the type of yogurt that you want to have. I would have one or two containers of yogurt every day for about three to four weeks, and lactobacillus will come back. Yogurt is a natural probiotic. You don't have to go and buy a probiotic. Yogurt is just what you're looking for. That will that will often do the trick. If that fails, then you may want to talk to your doctor. There are things called Clotrimazole troche. Clotrimazole is an antifungal medication, and a troche is like a lozenge. And a clotrimazole troche, sometimes when we can't figure anything out, we just want to reduce the yeast within our mouth. And we do that, by the way, through yogurt because we want to get the good bacteria in there. But if not, you may have to see your doctor and get a prescription for this antifungal medication, and you sort of let these things dissolve in your mouth. And often 10 days of that will get rid of the whole thing. I sure thank you. This is great information, and I sure appreciate the help. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening. We appreciate that call at 800-462-7413. Now, before we head out today, Zorba, we don't mind taking our lumps from the grammar police or debating the issues during our disagreeing with the doc segment. But now and then, it's just nice to hear that we're doing a good job. The following came to us from Meg In Norman, Oklahoma, she writes, Hey, Dr. Zorba and Tom, I'm a great real estate agent. I volunteer with my local Meals on Wheels and deliver warm meals to sweet clients. While I'm out driving to each of my clients, I listen to you two through my local station, KGOU, and I wanted to say thank you for your wonderful oh, how show. Nice. How nice. It takes time and energy to help people think and laugh. I appreciate <laughs> that I learn something with every show and always have a smile on my face when listening. All the best to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Want to put a smile on our faces? Just post on our Facebook page or send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. See you next week, Zorba. Stay well, Tom. If you missed anything during the show or just want to download our show podcast, visit us on the web at ZorbaPastor.org or, of course, through Facebook. And don't forget you can call us anytime at 1-800-462-7413. Zorba Pastor on Your Health is a production of Wisconsin Public Radio. It's not intended as a medical diagnosis, so please do check with your doc. Our executive producer is Carl Christensen. Our technical director is Brad Kohlberg. Our theme music is by Leo and Ben Sidron. For Zorba Pastor, I'm Tom Park, asking you to join us on the next Zorba Pastor on Your Health. For more information on Dr. Zorba Pastor and to listen to current or past episodes, go to ZorbaPastor.org. There you can subscribe to the weekly podcast and you will find the show archive, Zorba's favorite recipes, his healthy living articles, and other helpful tips heard on the show. That's ZorbaPastor.org.